1: Nico Perino, joined by two of my distinguished colleagues here today, making her first appearance on the show, Alicia Glennon. Hi, Alicia. Hi. You're a little bit nervous? A little bit. Am I supposed to look this way? No, 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 no. no. You don't have to look at the camera. She's a little bit nervous because she didn't, I didn't give her, this is my fault, a heads up that we were recording video, Mm -hmm. which tells you a little bit about how much Alicia listens to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For listeners who don't know, we set up a new YouTube channel for, so to speak, so... Uh, subscribe to that if you're subscribed to Fires, And then, of course, we have Greg, who's probably the most regular guest on So to Speak, president and CEO of the organization. I should say Alicia. The COO. Mm COO. Yes, we've got the C-suite in the house today. (laughs) So very exciting news. We're recording this podcast at the end of May. This podcast is going to come out on June 6th which is FIRE's D-Day, I guess, right, D- six, June, <laughs> June 6th, is, 6th is D- yeah, it's D-Day, day. Um, which is the day that FIRE announced that we're taking our work off campus. Mm-hmm. So, Woo-hoo. yeah, it's very exciting, very exciting stuff. So, <laughs> hopefully happens, nothing too major happens in between when we're recording it today oh, and man. on the 6th. Don't do uh, don't jinx it. Yeah, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Greg, yes. so this might come as a surprise to a lot of people who listen to the show, regular supporters of FIRE, that FIRE's expanding yeah. in this way. So, you want to take us kind of through your history at FIRE and the thinking that led to this moment where you and, you know, the board of directors decided now's the time to expand
2: off-campus. <laughs> well, let's take me back to 1666. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, it is funny because, like, when I think about what led us to this point, um, you know, uh, when I started at FIRE in 2001, you know, my, my lifelong dream was to do uh, free speech First Amendment work. Um, and... Uh, you know, I started as fire legal director in 2001 and almost from the very first day people were asking us like, oh, you know, we're also needed off campus. When are you going to extend it off campus? And so my answer was there's a value in being more narrowly focused. Um, but not at least not until we actually had sufficient coverage on campus that we could, uh, you know, do things like the free speed, like the um, ratings, the, uh, rankings that we do for for schools now, or that we had a, a proper research department, um, that we had a student network, for example, that we had outreach to alumni. So it's only in the past couple of years where I really felt like we, were, uh, we, ha- we had the issues on campus covered enough that we could uh, start considering doing things like K through 12, which we actually started doing a bit ago, Start doing research that uh, applies somewhat off campus, which we which we'd uh, done only for the past couple of years. Um, and so we were playing with the idea of, you know, announcing that we were going to go off campus maybe at our 25th anniversary, but um, which will be 2024. But what made us decide we have to do this now or as soon as possible was just how bad of a year for free speech 2020 was. Um, and that we needed something more, and we needed a defender out there that wasn't just talking about the first amendment um, wasn't just talking about things legalistically, but talking about things from an unapologetic free speech culture argument that that essentially you know free speech culture is something that that is the um, that it created the law in, in in the first place so it 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 was a uh, a gradual process, but I think at fire, there was a sense that we, we all kind of individually and collectively felt called to the idea of expanding off-campus at some point, and we're pr- proud to announce it today. Yeah, and a
1: lot of our public education campaigns yeah. you know, bolstering the value of free speech uh, have happened off-campus. For example, our listeners will know I made Mighty Ira, right, which is about free speech values off-campus. Uh, yep. We made Can, we take, Can we take a Joke, which is about free speech. And stand-up comedy it anticipated cancel culture before it was e- that phrase even existed. What do we
2: call it? It was like call-out culture. We, call, we called it out- outrage culture. Outrage but, culture. You know, that yeah, that came out in 2015, so way ahead of its time for yeah. sure. Probably, probably too ahead of its time, possibly. We we'll yeah. more viewers have been a little
1: bit later. And then there's you know, <laughs> other works like Coddling the American Mind, of course, which gives into like behavioral psychology and all these other sorts of uh, programs. But you mentioned free speech culture. Yeah. And I'll recall that you and Ken White, uh, friend of the organization's, of course, Popat, uh, debated whether free speech culture is actually a thing. Yeah. I think this was in 2020 in Reason Magazine. Yeah, Reason Magazine, yeah. And Ken argued that it wasn't, you argued that it was. And you say, you know, kind of our reason for this expansion, that we're going to be defenders of free speech culture. So can you unpack what it actually means, what free speech culture means?
2: I continue to not understand what Ken's point is with the free speech. The free speech culture isn't a thing. I think mostly he means it gets used disingenuously it gets used um, by people um, who are being dishonest, who are being hypocritical. And that's something that angers Ken in a way that, that I just kind of accept that as part of human nature, that there are going to be people who use the argument freedom of speech for... Uh, pernicious ends, there are going to be hypocrites. Most people are hypocrites about something, whether they know it or not. Um, I'm a little bit more kind of you know, accepting of that fact. I will take people um, being on our side in a particular case, even if they're on the wrong side in another one, I'm perfectly happy to work with people who, um, you know, there's, there's a Frederick Douglass quote that I'll work with anybody to do good, but no one to do evil, you know, which which is something I agree with. So I'd, besides the fact that they're uh, bad people and hypocrites, um, the idea that there's no such thing as free speech culture isn't a, co- isn't a coherent idea. Um, law doesn't, isn't handed down by God to us. Um, you know, certainly the Constitution wasn't. Um, it took thinking through. It, it, it took uh, philosophical underpinnings. So my point, you know, um, when it comes to uh, freedom of speech is, uh, you know, one of the things I try to point out, and I pointed out in the article, was that uh, cultural values are oftentimes expressed in our idioms, and, and popular idioms of, of a time can show a culture's value. And one of the, you know, when I was growing up, um, the idea of saying it's a free country, you know, was just, was a cliche, saying, you know, walk a mile in a man's shoes. Most importantly, to each his own, or to each their own, um, that uh, different strokes for different folks, like all of these kind of things, they were celebrating the values of pluralism, the fact that not everyone's going to agree with you, that you might not always be right. These are all things that underpin um, uh, a a democratic society's belief in freedom of speech from a Cultural level, and those have largely fallen out of favor, at least in the past. Yeah, I don't years. hear those idioms anymore. Yeah, and we're trying to say that, like, those values actually—they uh, they're, they're, make sense for a democratic, pluralistic society. And the further we get away from them, um, uh, the
1: worse off we will be. Yeah, I'm glad that that's going to be such a big part of the messaging in our expansion—that we're going to be this cultural champion for freedom of expression. Because too often, when I talk about these issues. people off campus and sometimes we even have these conversations internally, we fall too much back on the First Amendment. It's like we defend the speech because it's protected by the First Amendment. But why does the First Amendment protect, why is it important that the First Amendment protect the speech? And I think this gets to the values you're talking about of pluralism, talking across lines of difference, learning the truth, understanding our world as it is, your lab in the looking glass theory is super important. And you don't see enough of that philosophical, cultural principled defense of free speech in America. You don't see it happening, uh, for example, with this launch, we're putting $2 million immediately into an advertising campaign called Faces of Free Speech. We're going to be talking about free speech as a cultural value. You don't see anyone doing that. So our goal with the expansion, in part, is to become that rallying point that people can rally behind, That's an organization that's going to be defending these principles in a nonpartisan, you mentioned unapologetic way, Greg, you know, we're not going to apologize as you talked about um, in some of our internal meetings for what you see and what we all see here at FIRE as a fundamental human
2: right. Yeah. Right? And, 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 a, and a good for humanity, period.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, getting back to your lab in the looking glass theory, which might be worth unpacking a little bit, this idea that it's important to know the world as it actually is, especially when there are things that are scary or disappointing yes. or frustrating about the world, right? Yeah. We shouldn't hide from it. It's like Jonathan Rauch said, it's, you know, the equivalent of breaking the thermometer if you don't like the temperature, right? Yeah, <laughs>
2: to, if, to disprove global warming, break your thermometers. You yeah. Know, it, it, it's, uh, and it is something that I think is underappreciated, just the idea that, um, I, I think that partially, you know, the the kind of people who, who saw themselves in Plato, you know, um, who, who who dominate sort of intellectual circles to a degree, you know, have this I- idea of sort of like the perfect form of objective truth, which is, to me, always been kind of a silly idea to begin with, but it's something that, that uh, a lot of times intellectuals take very, uh, very seriously. But it muddies our discussion of freedom of speech because one of the defenses of freedom of speech is that it's for producing truth. And that gets you into this pointless argument about does objective truth exist, um, it, you know, and the argument that there is no such thing as objective truth leads some people on campus to say, well, therefore, then free speech doesn't matter if objective truth can't be known. Again, I think this is a silly argument, but it misses what the truth is of someone knowing someone's opinion. the 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 fact the the, the fact is that, yes, your uncle's assertion that lizard people you know live under the Denver airport and control the world is not true. Um, is it really good to know that your uncle thinks that? Uh, you know, if you're, particularly if you're going to like you know go on a date with him, if you're uh, uh, the I guess, you shouldn't, uh, your I, guess, I guess you shouldn't go on a date with your uncle, but for someone else, you know, like like the um, that you should. Uh, um, that, you, that that's valuable for people to know, even things that patently aren't true, because that's most of you know what motivates people are, are oftentimes very mistaken beliefs. They're, they're, it's important to know that if you actually want to understand the world as it is. Yeah, so Alicia sort of a secret engine that
1: makes everything work here at FIRE. As oh, I, I, don't, I don't
2: want to introduce uh, uh, Alicia. Um, <laughs> she, she's, our, she's our COO. Um, we got her pretty close to right out of undergrad, and very, like, very early on, Robert Shibley, the executive director, and I were like, yeah, I think she could kind of run the place. So, <laughs> so, so we, we've been very lucky to have her from, a, from an early age. Yeah, I've been at FIRE for 10 years, and I've
1: been here the fewest <laughs> number of years, <laughs> the people at this table. Alicia, what year did you start?
0: 07. And how many, well, how
1: many FIRE employees were there when you started? 12. And Greg, I'm assuming there was like three or four when you started? I think I was employee number six. Employee number six. And right now, Alicia, how many employees
0: do we have? 85? Low 80s? Yeah, it's incredible incredible. how
1: how much we've grown. So I want to put it to you. Greg mentioned um, the on-campus work, obviously, which is our bread and butter. We're going to continue to still do that, right?
0: Yes. I mean, if anything, and I think this will be a relief to a lot of our supporters and to the the world. But if anything, our campus work is just going to grow. Yeah, Because with putting a lot of resources in building our reputation, building our brand. $10 million
1: in advertising and marketing just this year.
0: More people are going to know about us, which means more students and professors are going to know about us, which means our work is going to be uh, more well-known and in higher demand. So when we say we're expanding, we truly mean we're expanding off-campus, but also our on-campus work.
1: And what will that do to our staff? You know, we're 80-whatever right now.
0: Our staff is expected to grow to be about 125 people. So for those listening or watching, um, go to our jobs page because we have a bunch of jobs on there. As I think, of this
1: recording, 15. 15.
0: I think. And they um, it's an amazing place to work. It's one of the reasons why I've been here for 15 years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, one of the, I mean, it is. I mean, if you look at the employees here at FIRE and you look at the retention rate for nonprofits, it's typically the turnover is one and a half years or so. I mean, so many people. And here we can't get fine. them
0: to leave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think
2: it's the free Sunday bar?
0: <laughs> I think it's a lot of things. To be serious, though, one of the reasons, you know, Greg said I came right out of undergrad, and to be honest, I wasn't a big free speecher. It wasn't something I thought about all the time. You know, I was in a sorority in college. I was having fun, and I wasn't, wasn't really top of mind. But um, this work, and I think increasingly going forward, is incredibly fulfilling. And I think the people here, my guess is that 80 other people here are here because it's fun to know that you're a part of something big and important and Mm -hmm. meaningful and challenging and thought-provoking and all of these things. Um, I was telling my husband the other day, It would be way easier for our life if fire wasn't expanding, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't have it any... Uh, Yes,
1: I think my (laughs) wife would
2: agree. (laughs) Really?
0: (laughs) But I wouldn't have it any other way. And when we um, ended up calling that all hands and telling most of our staff about what our plans were, what we wanted to do, I was, I wouldn't say surprised, but I was really... It was heartwarming because the response was overwhelmingly positive. I think there was cheers and this is when we're all on Zoom at that point, you know. And so people are here for the right reasons, even if it means having to work really, really, really hard on something because the payoff could be huge. And I think with our plan, um, it's likely that we'll succeed. Yeah.
1: And fire is just a unique place to work given the political diversity, you know, that that we have here, right? I mean, especially in our hyper-polarized age, You have people from across the political and ideological spectrum some who you know in certain cases i don't even know what their political ideology is here but we all come together around this belief in the value of free expression and free speech culture which makes it just a fantastic place to work and i know it kind of sounds like an ad for (laughs) fire but it's sort of an ad for fire it's we've got 15 jobs right it's a tight labor market and if you want to work for an organization if you care about these issues, and you want to work for an organization that believes deeply in them, and, and with colleagues who are committed to them in the same way you are. Then they should they should come and apply,
0: right? Yep, please
2: do. So, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing the soft launch on on June six. You know, we're becoming this new thing, and we're in the process of becoming this new thing. But in order to become that, we have to uh, you know attract top talent. We have to find. Um, it, uh, more plaintiffs out there, um, I mean I mean we don 't actually have to because we already have hundreds of you know uh, potential candidates for lawsuits. We were actually kind of shocked at how many uh, lawsuits we we found just with minimal uh, sniffing around yeah stay tuned but but <laughs> but, we, but we know there's going to be a lot there are a lot more of those because you know people have never never heard of us before um and of course, you know when it comes to doing something this ambitious, um, trying to fundraise, you know, and that's where Alicia started out at Fire. Um, it, without telling people about this big project you're doing, can be slightly frustrating. So it's going to be nice. I, I'm always much more comfortable when I can openly talk about stuff. Um, I'm not, and so it'll be a relief to be able to tell people, you know, we're going for this really ambitious goal, um, seventy-five million dollars over three years. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know uh, we need your help getting there. Yeah, and
1: Alicia, as of this recording, and it's probably going to change within the next week and a half. We're at what twenty
0: seven, twenty seven and a half million of the seventy five million overall goal.
1: So over a third of our three year goal. That's right. And and how have we raised that so far?
0: So so far we've been uh, talking to our closest supporters and partners, people that you know that we trust to keep things confidential and just going to a small circle of friends and people who are really aligned, our allies, and asking them if they want to be part of this. And just through that, we've been able to raise, like we said, twenty twenty seven and a half million. Um going forward, we're going to ask all of our fire supporters to be part of this expansion. And but my guess is they're going to get us far a long way there. But really, what's going to help us get to 75 million is by going public, by starting a membership program, by doing digital acquisition, um, by being getting earned media through our paid media, um, and hopefully raising fires brand awareness to the point where eventually we could become a household name.
1: Yeah, we've done a lot of research over the past year, and I should mention because I didn't mention this at the top, although. We probably have to change the intro to the show because it says Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. We're keeping the branding with the expansion. It's going to be Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. It's mm-hmm. going to take me forever. It's going to take
0: get, forever. Yeah. Get
1: used to saying that. But the intro to the show says "You know, in education, so we're going to have to change that. Aaron, if you're listening, Aaron's our editor. Can the new, <laughs> can the new logo include an emoticon? <laughs> might get one. Might, might try and get one included in the, uh, in the iPhone here. Um, Aaron, actually, uh, uh, Reese, our editor, he edits this podcast, he's great, he's our new creative director, Um, has created Fire, a Giphy account, where we have all these GIFs that you can insert into text messages and anywhere, and it gets millions and millions of impressions and views. Um, People use them, which is really awesome. But we've known about this expansion here internally at at Fire for a year, and the fact that we've been able to keep it under wraps is really a testament to not just our staff, but also our partners who are helping to support it, right? what are some of the things that we've had to learn, Alicia, maybe I'll start with you, uh, over this last year to feel comfortable that this can work? And I, I should probably, a lot of this is communications work, so I can talk a little bit about everything that went into that. But we're expanding into three areas. We've already talked or briefly mentioned litigation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, communications, lots of that is culture-changing enterprises, um, but also research. Mm-hmm. So what if we had to figure out in order to feel comfortable doing this?
0: Well, I think that we all knew that there was a need, that there was a gap. Um, but we hear it
1: every day on Twitter, right? <laughs> like, all you have to do is look at Twitter and then say, you know, fire's oh, fires just on campus, right? Right. Yeah.
0: Um, and like Greg said, for years uh, we've been hearing from donors, when are you going to expand off campus? When are you going to expand off campus? So we knew there was a appetite internally and with some of our supporters to do it, but what we needed to figure out was, okay, if we're going to take this on, how can we do it in a way that's successful? How can we be really prepared? Um, where are the areas that we should expand? Where are the areas that maybe we shouldn't? And so one of the first things that we did was we started working on a strategic plan, a big business plan. We did a lot of um, market research to figure out, okay, well, we know that there's a declining culture of free speech, but are there, is there an audience that will listen to our message and how receptive will they be? Can we move them? Um, I don't know if you want to talk more about the focus groups and the quant
1: there. Yeah, let me talk a little bit about that, because Alicia, you talked about when you came to fire, you didn't think about freedom of speech, it wasn't really front of mind. I mean, you had this intuitive gut support for it, and I think that's what a lot of our research over the past year, when we were preparing for some of these advertising marketing campaigns found as well, particularly on, and we've been focusing to a certain extent in some of the research on uh, left-leaning citizens. Right. Um, what, one of the things we found in, in in our market research is that conservatives can be brought in fairly easily, and and liberals can be too if you reach them with their values. And we found that there's this huge reachable audience, particularly uh, younger Americans, who for whom freedom speech isn't front of mind. But if you reach them with their values uh, and messages that resonate with them, you can bring them along. Um, there's I should call the, say those are teachables, reachables. Are you know your kind of forty to fifty five year olds, um, and, all all the way, way up. And, and all the way up, and all the way up, who are already on board. Teachables are, are tend to be younger, and then there's millennials, my generation, which uh, we've been referring to as into deepables. Their values are <laughs> fairly set, uh, and those values there are plenty of us that support free speech. I'm one of them. Um, but there are some of them who just, we we can't find advertising messages or, or free speech messages that are really going to resonate with them in the same way they resonate with others. So we've done, we've done a lot of market research, you know, not just along um, political lines, left, right, but also demographic lines, right? One of the things we found uh, with minorities is that, you know, they just don't think free speech is for them, right? But we found that for many of them, they understand how important it has been to uh, social justice movements, civil rights movement, gay rights movement, all those movements uh, over the course of the history. And If you reach them with the right values, you know, that kind of explain the history of free speech in America. And, and, the and to
2: be clear, right? w- what we mean by free speech isn't for them as if they're not people who benefit from free Correct. speech. Correct. Yes, not, I mean. not that they think censorship as well. Um, yeah. Correct. And, 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 that's, and that's one of the things that um, I, I do think uh, is so important in the messaging is to, is to make it clear that... You know, As I keep on saying, um, the, there was an attempt to have a gay rights movement you know, prior to the late 1950s, and that was actually the newest one that I learned. Um, there was a civil rights attempt to have a civil rights movement going back all, every decade of the 20th century and, and further. Same thing with the women's rights movement. Um, the, there were attempts to have all of these things before. One thing changed. Um, In the late 1950s, the First Amendment started getting strongly interpreted, um, and it also encouraged um, appreciation of free speech culture. And that's how you got the gay rights movement, the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement. Um, And most Americans don't know this history, unfortunately. And I feel like in some ways it's not being taught because there's been a multi-decade um, movement, unfortunately, particularly on campuses, to sort of de-emphasize freedom of speech to the point at which it, it, it's, um, you know, in some cases misrepresented to the, to, to the public. And we want to bring this back to people to explain. It's like, no, freedom of... You, you know how you all believed in freedom of speech seven years ago? It's still a powerful uh, good. It's still a, a, an innovation for, for peace and for, for prosperity and for, for that matter, authentic human relations. Yeah,
1: and so that's a big goal of our advertising, marketing, messaging campaign is to reach people with these messages, right? Um, And it's worked, it's worked. I mean, astute viewers and listeners of this podcast will know that we've been running some marketing campaigns, advertising campaigns over the past year, those were deliberate in a certain (laughs) sense, now you know why, to kind of test the waters and figure out what messages work with which audiences, right? Um, We did the back cover New York Times buys, I think we ran about five or six of them. Effective as a tactic, we saw that on Sundays in which those ads ran, our website traffic went up 150% versus the Sundays in the year before. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've been testing these messages uh, in an email acquisition campaign. And our email list that took us 22 years to grow, uh, we've grown by 350% in just like the last eight months or so. So it's amazing, amazing, right, just from a tactical perspective. the research and the focus grouping that we've done to understand where people's values are and to reach them with the appropriate free speech message as a result has worked. And that's one of the reasons that we're launching now instead of the 25th anniversary is like, we feel like we're we're getting there, like we're almost fully primed. Uh, on the development side, we've raised more than was necessary for year one funding. Uh, on the comm side, we know what these messages are. We've created a lot of the ads that people are going to start seeing on television today or billboards across the country. Um, We've tested them. And so it's like people are asking us every day when fires, what are we waiting for, right? And we should forewarn our listeners that it's going to take us a little bit longer to get fully primed, right? There's still some kinks we have to work out. We're hiring 15 people because there is a need to hire 15 people in order to do this expansion. Correct. Um, But the hope is, Alicia, and you can talk a little bit about this, I hope, um, is by the what is it, April 18th of next year? We're yes. going to have a gala in New York City where we'll kind of celebrate. It's not our coming out party, but it's, you know, we're hopefully staffed up
0: to yeah. a significant degree I think and ready I to see go. the 18th is just really like a big free speech celebration. Party. Big party. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> bringing together people from all over the country who care about this, who's maybe people who've been there from 1999, from the beginning, or maybe new people who are hearing about us Today, for the first time with the expansion. Uh, but anybody who cares about free speech should come. New York City, Greg and I will be there. You'll be there. April 18th, 2023. April 18th, 2023. Uh, save the date. And uh,
1: is there a way that people can get in touch if they're interested in buying like, yes, a third date? Yes, just day? email
0: events at fire.org okay. And our events team, and I'm on there too, um, we'll get back to Can, can
1: you tell, tell us a little bit about these FIRE? You said mentioned FIRE member. I know we had a meeting yesterday kind of going through once we expedited our timeline for the launch, what that actually entails. So don't take this to the bank.
0: Did we tell Greg, we're gonna have FIRE members? <laughs> 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 um, so FIRE is, o- not always, but for the last several years, we've always had Ember Club members. And these are our top donors, right? These mm-hmm. are people who have a lot of capacity and they've been incredibly generous with it. But now that we're trying to get a million Followers, which we can talk about in a little bit, uh, part of that is going to be having a robust grassroots small dollar membership program. So we'll now have fire members, and this means anybody who donates twenty five dollars or more becomes a fire member. It comes with benefits, and for a limited time, we will have very cool T shirts. We like their T
1: shirts. Yeah, we're designing them right now.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> Might take some time to get in people's mailboxes. Right. Supply chains sign time. But,
0: but they're going to be very cool and... And comfortable,
1: which is important to Greg. And comfortable. Extremely important. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so Otherwise people don't wear them. Anyway.
2: Yeah, that's
1: true.
0: You're right, you're right. And now we'll have a lot of walking billboards, hopefully, for fire. Mm-hmm. And and for free speech. For free speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably, maybe one will say, free speech makes free people. We yeah. seem to like that one. That's,
1: our, that's one of our campaign tags. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and so the goal is, over the next several years, to get 40,000 small-dollar donors all across the country, um, a diverse base of donors who care about free speech. Yeah. And we'll be kicking it off with the membership program and giving the giveaways for the t-shirts. Yeah. Can we
2: call them the fire pyros?
0: <laughs> <laughs> light light a boss, fire for fire. So he's <laughs> like I so. have this terrible
2: idea.
1: <laughs> Greg, can you talk a little bit about the research portion of the expansion? Yes. You know, we, litigation, right? And that's So there's three main things we're asking people is, right? you know, uh, Send us your talent you're looking for a job or you want to do this full-time, go to thefire.org slash, I think it's jobs or careers or something. Um, Apply. Look at what jobs are available. Uh, Send us your cases, right? We're now starting to take cases off campus and later we can kind of talk generally about what that might mean. Um, Send us your Financial support, and other you know, other su- subscribes to us on social media. The fire, the fire org at the fire org, or join our membership program by donating twenty five dollars and getting a free T shirt. Twenty
0: five dollars or more.
1: Or more. Or more. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Important, right?
0: You can't take the development out of the girl. <laughs> well, well, I,
1: well, I think our margins are right. Uh, someone just said it's like thirteen dollars per T shirt, right? So we're fire. You're only really donating, like. if my math is right. Um,
0: Or more is important. Oh, so the or more
1: is is important. Yes, of course, the cause. Um, But so we've talked about litigation, the communications campaigns, how we've tested that. The Inez Cantor Freedom Beijing Olympics um, thing was really important for us, figuring out the playbook moving forward on comms side. But
2: we haven't talked yet about research. Sure. That's the thing I get the most excited about. Um, But that's, you know, uh, fire... um, when fire, uh, when I first joined FIRE, I was literally the only attorney on staff, um, and that's something I think some of the younger people at FIRE need to understand is that we were, you know, founded primarily to be sort of like a, a communication shop um, t- because we thought that litigation was too expensive, it took too long, and so many of these cases on campus are so outrageous that just taking them public would usually win the case. And that was absolutely true. Robert Shibley, our executive director, was the second lawyer to join. And over the years, we, we, um, we've gotten a lot of absolutely amazing uh, free speech law talent um, but I've always had an intense interest in psychology and social science, and I started seeing a lot of intersection, uh, um, uh, a lot of intersections between free speech, psychology, uh, constitutional law. Like it, it, it's amazing, like how complementary they are. But these two fields don't talk to each other enough. So I joke that I used to pretend to be a social scientist, um, and I was able to add uh, at one point people like uh, uh, Pamela Prezky was my um, research uh, uh, chief researcher for a couple of years, and. Eli Feldman, who came over just as my, my regular assistant, was um, uh, someone who had a background in psychology uh, wh- while we were working on um, coddling the American mind. Uh, but now we've been able to actually expand to have a proper research department, including you know, luminaries like Sean Stevens, you know, who, who does amazing work, Comey Frey, um, uh, who, who does our, our, scholar, our scholar database, um, and the idea there is to be able to, um, uh, when t- t- to be able to pr- pr- produce much deeper content. When it comes to a free speech case, you know, when you're talking about like the latest cases going on, the case of of jo- uh, Joshua Katz yeah, over at, at, Princeton. At, at Princeton, who who just today w- was announced that he he was going to be terminated. Um, it's important to understand that that's one of six hundred attempts to get professors fired, um, you know, going back to 2015. Well, more than half of those just happened since 2020. And being able to say some of the stuff definitively, you know, just with numbers and stats is really helpful. But what's also helpful is this interdisciplinary approach, and that's one of the things that we're also Launching um, with the with the research department is is what we plan to do an interdisciplinary journal of freedom of speech so we can bring in things like social, moral, behavioral psychology, and freedom of speech for that matter you know, economics what whatever approach to make sure that people understand that freedom of speech is a fundamental value and practically and academic freedom are fundamental values in practically every field, not just you know, not not just law.
1: Yeah, this is in, super important for me too in the communication side, right? Stories are what win hearts and minds, uh, but having research to take those individual stories and and tell audiences how it fits within a broader framework or a broader trend is super important that's one thing that you guys have been able to do in the research department research department is kind of a newer department at fire sean stevens who came over to us from heterodox academy work used to work in the communications department because we're smaller we didn't have a department for him but now your team has grown out led by adam goldstein quite a bit oh yeah um but it's super important to like have those facts at hand and when you wrote that Daily Beast article about cancel culture being able to point to the number of scholars who were sanctioned for their protected expression was super important and I don't think that there was any significant pushback when you actually put those numbers out there, people always say, Oh, it's not real. Show us some real data. I was like, Okay, we work on campuses. We yeah, can show you the I data. Have, on I, lo- I love
2: that New York Times guy who was like, Just show me one. I'm like, I think it's th- Adam Data 600. Yeah. <laughs> Is that good? The, some of the only criticism we got for what were people saying um, using the new Michael Berube, Jennifer Ruth kind of idea of, of academic on the freedom. a couple weeks ago. Yeah, ago. Uh, I'll, more about that later. Um, <laughs> they the, the, um, uh, argued that essentially, like, one. One of, one of the professors who was most clearly canceled due to, due to um, something that he had published um, shouldn't count because th- for whatever reason someone thought that that was, you know, the research wasn't itself shoddy, just the finding was something that was considered morally troubling. And it's like, yeah. So basically, like people have, have, have critiqued it by more or less saying, oh, but that scholar, I don't like that scholar. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's well noted, but that doesn't affect academic freedom, at least not yet.
0: I feel like the people who listen to the podcast are missing out on Greg's hands. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I, I was watching you like do a Zoom call when I came in, and, and you're exactly the same way. But yours are more more interesting. You got a um, little, little bit of mime in you. <laughs> when we do when
1: we do media trainings here at Fire, we tell people, especially who gesticulate a lot. You can gestic- just eh, gesticulate as much as you want. We've got I first just, flies. I
2: just pulled a, a mosquito out of the air <laughs> on my first try. So
0: this is just an That's... ad for watching this on YouTube. Yeah, right? <laughs> One other thing that I think we miss sometimes when we talk about research, but is really important to me and I think for the organization is that we now have a department that can help us measure our own success. Oh, right. Yeah. So if or you're, failures. Or failures, hopefully not. But yeah. if you're saying, like, okay, we have these goals and we want to, Raise Fire's brand awareness. Uh, I think right now, when we did a our first, was it a focus group or first quant? It was about five percent. of Yeah, which
2: was pretty good. Which
0: yeah. isn't—it's not huge, but it's not nothing. Yeah.
1: And yeah, it was prompted. It was like, "Are you aware of Foundation for Individual Rights?" And it does. I think that's how the question was framed off to go back. But there's like unprompted and prompted ways, and it was five percent. And
0: yeah. we're going to be able to just do quick pulses every few months and see is that going up, or even just general questions about your how positive or negative you feel about free speech mm-hmm. so we're going to be able to measure if our efforts are making a difference and we can do that internally which is a really awesome tool for you know yeah. fire to be able to decide if we need to pivot or if we need to change or where we need to expand things like that
1: yeah a big portion of insider look at what we're doing here at fire that a big portion of what we're doing right now is putting together this dashboard right of key
2: performance indicators. <laughs> I'm so excited. Like, that I realized, like, oh, a dashboard. And we've always tracked yeah. metrics here at yeah. Fire. But, but to know. make it really easy. To, uh, and, and that's something that, you know, uh, one thing that not everyone realizes is, you know, we try to be super helpful if people are looking for data related to anything related to freedom of speech. We, we try to do everything we can to help them.
1: Yeah, you're always reaching out to allies and partners and journalists and say, hey, if you need any data, you know. We're yeah. the free speech people. We put together a lot of this data. Come to us; we can help you find it. We've got a team that's at your disposal. So, you know, if there are any academics or journalists that are listening to this podcast and you're interested in writing a story about free expression and you're curious what data is out there, our research team can help with that. And it'll become the data will become even more expansive now that Fire itself is expanding off campus.
2: It, it is funny, just like the same way when you uh, start doing First Amendment law, you realize that the universe of full time First Amendment lawyers might be smaller than you think. Um, when it comes to the people who are researching, you know, freedom of speech, expression, tolerance, um, it is it is a smaller universe, um, but but that's one of the reasons why it's useful to, you know, get the word out about people who have, you know, interesting ideas for studies. Uh, oh, I should have mentioned this. We, we actually have, we, we're doing research grants now. We're yeah. doing $150,000 in research grants um, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, about potential uh, projects. Uh, yeah,
1: a free inquiry grant program. Yep. Uh,
2: you can learn more about it by going to the fire.org
1: slash fig, I think, yeah, is what it, what fig. the short vanity URL is for. It. But Greg, I'm so glad you said that because the universe of researchers is small, but the universe of First Amendment litigators is also small. And that's yeah. another big reason that we're doing this expansion is because we want to build a bench of free speech litigators. Yeah. You know? And there's not a lot of places you can go if you want to do First Amendment law. I mean, the plaintiffs in these cases don't tend to have a lot of money, Right.
2: Uh, I I was lucky enough to be poor growing up, Um, so when I was offered the job, um, you know, I I went to uh, Stanford for law school, you know, got an offer at a New York firm that would have paid a lot, but when I was offered, you know, $50,000 a year to work at FIRE, you know, that sounded like a million dollars to me, so I was like, yay, that's that's great, but I had to be especially kind of reckless to focus entirely on First Amendment law in in law school and, and only settle for a job in this field because there were so few jobs jobs in this field. I think we can really change the atmosphere for future, you know, First Amendment uh, defenders by having, letting them know that there's hopefully, you know, going forward for years to come, there's a place where hundreds of free speech attorneys can can work someday. Um, And knowing that there's a position for them out there might encourage more people to go into it in the first place. Yeah, I think it's probably safe to
1: say that once we're fully primed for this expansion, it might even be the case right now, that there will be more First Amendment attorneys working exclusively on First Amendment issues at fire than perhaps anywhere else. No, I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah. Uh, so building that bench um, of experience is going to be super important for obviously protecting We also rights.
0: have, as part of the staffing plan, we have fellowships and clerkships where every year we get new talents that we can train with the best, you know, hopefully the best First Amendment litigators and lawyers there are here at FIRE, so they can go out, even if they're not doing full-time First Amendment law, they'll still be trained by us and live their lives and practice law with us in mind. So I think that's also important, too. It's not just the full-time lawyers here. Yep. It's also the training programs that we have and the clerkships and fellowships, um, and this rotating door of constantly training up good talent and sending them out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. sometimes, actually, it's more valuable to have talent like that Outside fire in various spheres, you know, um, people who advocate for free speech values, for example, in stand up comedy or the behavioral sciences or any of those, you know, because not everyone's as nerdy and niche on free speech issues as we are, but they might really care about stand up comedy or they might really care about behavioral science, or they might really care about music. So having so, someone who's involved in those spaces on a day-to-day basis, advocating t- for those values is super important. Like, you mentioned Eli, you know, now he's out there, yeah. uh, I think, in a graduate program. Stanford? Uh, not he, doing free speech work every day, but he at least brings those values that he learned here at FIRE with him.
2: Yeah, Eli's getting his PhD in clinical psychology at, at Stanford. Huh? Yeah. He's, from, he's from Menlo Park. Yeah, yeah another smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> Eli, I'm Palo Alto. Palo Alto, oh right, yeah. Eli's the best.
0: even if it's not just like the actual content that these interns, fellowships, and clerks are learning, it's also the experience working someplace for a year, like you said earlier, with people who think totally different than you, believe different things, you come from all different walks of life, and happen, for the most part, get along and work productively. Like that experience alone, uh, I think is important to then, you know, send them out to live their lives, having that in their back pocket and knowing it's possible. We're not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk in our daily lives with each other here.
1: Yeah. I think one question that a lot of our listeners are going to ask about this expansion is what about the ACLU? You know, when you think about free expression in the United States, I made a documentary about Ira Glasser, the former executive director of the ACLU. You often think about the ACLU. Um, And so they're like, well, doesn't the ACLU do a lot of this work? And, And they do. And we partner with them on campus all the time. Amicus briefs, and whatnot, um, and now we'll be partnering with them off campus. The important thing to keep in perspective is they have 19 different issue areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between FIRE and they often focus on the court of law. Uh, the difference with us is we have one issue area, right? Yeah. We can put all of our attention and energy there. Um, if you look, go to the ACLU's social media channels right now. Now the big issues, and I think they're accurately identified for them because they're within their issue areas, are abortion rights mm-hmm. and transgender rights. Right. You know, so. Trying to compete for space on their social media channels is difficult when those issues are like headline news, covered on cable television every day. Um, we're just focused on free speech issues, um, and we'll be. And we're looking forward to you know partnering with them uh, where we can.
2: Yeah, I mean we've done litigation with the ACLU you know over the years many times. Um, Nadine Strawson you know, is a great friend of fire, and she's still a big supporter of ACLU as well. I've been doing a series of um, uh frequently asked questions um about freedom of speech with her and we're out now on like issue like 18. but yeah i mean we we've attracted a lot of people who are either former aclu i still joe Cohn, our uh, yeah. legislative and policy director was i, I still have friends you know at, at some of the state affiliate, for example um but yeah we're happy to work with anybody who's willing to work with us yeah yeah and there are a lot of organizations that work on free speech uh
1: issues Um, I think what we see that distinguishes us is that we litigate. A lot of these organizations don't litigate. Um, And also we have a very distinct way about thinking of the culture of freedom of expression in a way that, you know, you don't hear about.
2: Well, As one thing sense. that I think definitely makes us different, um, and it 's something i 'm very committed to doing is that we are actually a place in which the office has people who vote for different ma- mainstream candidates mm-hmm. you know I- in elections. when I worked at the ACLU um, of northern California when I was an intern there back in 90- thousand nine hundred and ninety nine you know you might you, you either vote a Democrat or green Party, um, starting at a place uh, you know coming for, coming from San Francisco you know that a, a, a uh, lefty atheist, when I started at FIRE, um, we were pretty much split down the middle between <laughs> relatively far lefty people and uh, three religious conservatives. One was a Catholic um, and an evangelical Christian and it was an amazing experience for me to realize that i'd been pretty closed minded myself because i kind of assumed that the evangelical christian there would be the most closed minded person when she was absolutely the most curious about where everybody how everybody came to their beliefs we could go out and drink and dance with you know and hang out uh, smoke cigarettes because we did back then. Uh, <laughs> nobody does that anymore. Um, and talk about the existence of God. And like, and, the, and having a group of people who came from genuinely different political points of view, which we tr- really try to mirror to this day, being friends with each other and learning from each other was one of the things that I think makes uh, FIRE unique, period. I
1: remember when I was an intern in 2010, we were still in the Curtis Center in Philadelphia. was FIRE's headquarters. Uh, we had this big kitchen table. And... Robert Shibley was still working in Philadelphia at the time. And we'd just all come into that kitchen and just debate whatever was in the news that day, right? And I think about that today, um, and we still do that at FIRE, but I think about that today outside of FIRE. It's so hard to talk with people across different uh, lines of difference. But at FIRE, it's a value that we sort of expect from employees internally. The idea that there's also going to be this, to disagree with someone does not make that other person evil yeah. and that we have this presumption of goodwill that just because someone disagrees with me doesn't mean I need to write them off and that debate and argument can actually change people's minds and then that's worth having as a result or it's worth having even if just to understand the other side's perspective and where they come from. So it's, it's crucial values, and if that sounds exciting to you, <laughs> go to thefire.org slash jobs.
2: Also, no, if you think... have any ideas of who we invite for our April 18th um, mega speaker, yes, I, I'm definitely open to ideas. We need a big
0: name. I, w- I was just going to say that, you know, I would even go as far to say is it hard to be a principled free speech group if you don't have political diversity on staff. I mean... We all have blind spots. We all need. We hold each other accountable. We yeah. point out things from different perspectives, and we ultimately, I think, end up getting to a better answer because of that type of type of conversation. And just to go back to the ACLU for one minute. I think something that I think it was you, Greg, or may have been Robert, but from the very beginning, it was made clear: like fire doesn't have to throat clear before we defend speech. We mm-hmm. don't need to say, well. That speech might be horrible, but we're going to defend it anyway. Yeah. Uh, we don't make comments about the nature of the f- speech we defend, and I think that has really served us well as the years went by, um, and it's made it easier to, for me and for everyone, to see that the power of free speech for good, like that, is the underlying principle. That is what we are fighting for. The speech, you know, that people say, well, fire doesn't choose our cases because we're not the ones choosing to censor, you know, people, do you take more cases on this side or this side? It's like, well, what way are the, the wind's wind blowing. blowing. Yeah, <laughs> right? Right. Like, we're in, not the one Who's censoring. in charge locally? Yeah, like, yeah. so uh, we just do the defense work. We're not the, the one censoring the speech. So uh, I think that's a difference. I mean, I'm.
1: It is a difference with the ACLU. Nadine Strauss former president, great friend of fire on our advisory council. She's come on this podcast before and we've had it out kind of over that. It's like, do you comment on the content of the speech that you're defending? Like, do you yeah. take a position on it? And she said, you know, at the ACLU, they did, and they do because they have to. They have 19 different issue areas, you know. If the speaker is saying something about abortions or abortion or trans rights or uh, any number of issues that they defend, racial justice, like, they condemn the speaker. Um, fire, because we don't have all those tensions, we just de- determine for ourselves in the litigation sphere, is it protected by the uh, by the First Amendment? If so, we defend it,
2: right? Yeah, well, it, it, and partially, the, the reason why... Um, we decided you have to avoid that is because as soon as you do it once you 're going to be asked to do it over and over again, and then you're uh, and then you 're in the um, position of defending the content of the speech rather than the right of free speech and we we 're not here to defend like the, the, the idea that sort of like everybody you, you know um, is equally right you know like it is a nonsensical idea, but as soon as you actually start saying well well this person is is despicable, we defend them nonetheless." You're going to be asked to do that over and over again. And, and if you, you
1: don't do it, their question is going to be like, well, yeah. why didn't you do it? Do you agree with
2: it? Yeah. Right? Which is why you should, you know, we think that it's better to just avoid that. You don't want to confuse your own position with the opinions of, the, of those you defend because they're not the same thing. I also
0: want everyone to know that they can come for us, that fire's for them. Yep. And so I think if you do too much of that, well, this speech is terrible or this yeah. speech it, makes it harder for 100 you to look welcoming But It's all. very common
1: today, you know, that you see that. Um, just rather American citizens will say, well, I you know, hate hate this speaker or I hate this speech or this speech is wrong. And then there's always the but, but the speech is protected by the First Amendment. And then that gets back to the, well, why is it protected by the First Amendment? Why do we defend these speakers?
2: And that's something that, that, that has changed that we saw coming that I called the slow motion train wreck even in the 90s, that essentially as... You know, free speech became like the went from being the defining liberal value um, to something that was, you know, more problematized on campus. That eventually you were going to go from the very typical kind of hypocrisy you see, you know, regarding free speech, as people will say they believe in free speech but they don't like what that person over there said, but they still believe in the principle of freedom of speech, to an outright, you know, abandonment of the term free speech to begin with. And and I've watched people you know, argue um, that, you know, even the words free speech, you know, to, to some... Freeze d- speech? You, you know. see that on social oh, media? I, I, that one dri- drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> I'm glad but, I missed that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the, um, uh, th- that it's like a, it's, they're, they're trying to act as if it's it's a tainted term, you know, and it's, and it's one of those things where when we talk about being unapologetic for it, it's like, no, freedom of speech, if you're on the side that actually believes freedom of speech itself is the problem, Um, then we're going to do our best to change, you know, change your mind on that. And the messages don't need to be that complex.
1: They can be super simple. Like, freedom of speech is the ability to be who you are and to speak your mind. Be authentic.
2: Be authentic. Be an individual. Um, And right now, I think one of the things that we saw in our polling is that black, white, liberal, or conservative people hate cancel culture, one term for it. They hate, they're scared for their jobs. Um, they they think people are overly sensitive. Yeah, they want to be able to talk across lines of difference. Um, and that it's a, that we're real, relatively spooked by uh, a, a, a smaller number of people. You know, I often call it the 2% of the 2% on Twitter um, that, uh, that, that looms too large in our lives. And I think that there is a hunger and a desire for, can I actually say what I think even if it's dumb uh, again? Yeah. Um, or can I even th- say what I think? Because it might be brilliant, you know. The, the uh, I, I think that there's a hunger for people being able to be honest with each other and to be authentic and be who they really are. Yeah, Alicia likes to say, the world is just more fun
1: that way, right? <laughs> like, the, the idea to, that we can speak our mind and be who we are, you know. And we're working on a we're clipping something from my favorite Christopher Hitchens clip right now. You know, even if you are skeptical of free speech, you need to put yourself in the position of like asking yourself who is it out there that you would trust to determine for you what books you can read, for you, you know, what music you can listen to or speeches you can hear? Like, does anyone in the United States believe that there is this perfect angel who should determine for them what speech they can hear? Yeah. I, I I can't identify that person. And if there's someone in the audience who, who can, please send them our way. But... Recognize they're also mortal, too. Yeah.
2: You know? <laughs> Anybody who elects themselves as that person, though, you shouldn't trust. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. I'll do it. You <laughs> um, just so, proved you shouldn't. So, um, running out of time here.
1: I've got six meetings today. Uh, two right after this. But we should talk about, briefly, in big buckets, the sort of cases we're looking to litigate. Um, you know, Bring us all your free speech First Amendment cases. Go to thefire.org slash alarm or... Um, button at the top of our web- website for submitting a case. But um, our litigation team, you know, some, some areas that they're exploring right now um, that they want to protect are protecting government employees when the government is investigating or punishing private off-the-clock speech. It's mm-hmm. one area. Defending against compelled speech and unconstitutional conditions on speech, protecting the right to protest and preventing protected expression from being turned into punishable conduct. Preventing the growth of exceptions to the First Amendment. We often hear about hate speech as not free speech. Yep. Um, no no new exceptions of the First Amendment. No. Limiting the scope of qualified immunity in First Amendment context. Qualified immunity is a hot topic these days, often applied to other areas of the law, but it's very important in First Amendment work either as well. Excuse me. And then strengthening and clarifying protections from First Amendment retaliation are some of the buckets and the trends that we're looking to litigate. So if anyone has a case in one of those buckets. Please sure. send them our way. We'd be super interested in it. But again, I mean, litigating. I we can't we can't say this enough. Is one tactic among many. We Greg, you often cite the Learned Hand quote, right? When mm-hmm. liberty dies in the hearts of men, no law can save it, yeah. right? So we also have to fight the Spirit I mean. of
2: Liberty speech, 1944. Learned Hand. Um, we actually have a, a recorded version of it um, by one of our favorite narrators for uh, Free Speech Out Loud. Oh, that's another reminder. It, it, um, if you sign up to the uh, podcast, so to speak, you should also sign up for Free Speech Out Loud, where we actually do read aloud Supreme Court cases, but also uh, certain articles. And we did the uh, the the, the um, Spirit of Liberty uh, yeah. case. And if you Google it, I think our website comes yeah. up first because we have the whole thing on,
1: mm-hmm. online.
2: Well, one thing that we were, you know, a little bit concerned, um, which I think I already mentioned, but when, uh, that. You know, given that there are other places that litigate free speech, that maybe there won't be wouldn't be that many neglected cases out there. And so far, even just with one person looking into it, we've we've already found hundreds. So um, we definitely want people to reach out. Um, you know, with their cases, uh, but at the same time, there's unfortunately no lack of you know little old ladies who are critical of, of their local government, for example, um, who need help. Uh, people engage in parody and satire of the local, you know, police department. Uh, oftentimes, find themselves getting uh, getting in serious trouble knowingly in violation of the First Amendment. I mean, there are places in the U.S. where they're still telling uh, school kids that they can make them, you know, say the Pledge of Allegiance, which is the Barnett case, 1943. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, when, when it comes to new and innovative interesting cases you know like that might involve some intersection of social media and free speech culture you know we're interested in that but it's amazing how many like run-of-the-mill um you know uh, can i protest here mayor no you can't because i don't like your viewpoint you know like those cases still happen to a shocking degree
1: yeah you mentioned social media which is i think the right place to kind of close out here it's hot topic now with free speech um i identified the buckets of litigation we're talking for litigation purposes, primarily about government censorship, yep. right, Greg? Um, and But to the extent that social media companies are implicated in the broader culture and they send messages about what free speech means in a free society, we're also going to be commenting on that even if we're not suing yeah. you know, any of these private social media companies, just as you did, Greg, in your... Um, open letter to Elon Musk, right? Yeah. And if you want to talk a little bit about that, because I think it's a good framework for how we think about a lot of these issues. Sure. Well,
2: first thing I want to say is that Alicia Glennon should be doing more public speaking. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the fact that we're finally getting her on the, on the podcast. I think that's awesome. So FIRE is not going to join with groups that are saying that social media companies need to be bound by the First Amendment. We're not going to be suing uh, social media companies um, in order to get them to comply uh, with with um, uh, free speech standards that, that are only bind the state. However, um, when I wrote that open letter to Elon Musk, it really was for every you know social media um, boss and, and uh, leader out there is that yes, you don't have to abide by the First Amendment, but the wisdom in, in, uh, collected in that hundred years of some of the brightest minds in, in America thinking about how you have freedom of speech in the real world, it's, it's a rich source of, of, of wisdom about how you actually um, can uh, make sure that things like threats and intimidation and harassment um, are properly punished, but that you're not chilling the, the expression of opinion. So that's something that we're thinking about ways to get that message out to more people who do social media, about being clearer with, the, with their principles. But if you're going to call something harassment, use use the definition um, in case law. If you're going to call something in, intimidation or threats, you you know use those uh, use those uh, the, the definitions that are uh, uh, available there.
1: Yeah, that you said there's a lot of wisdom in mm-hmm. First Amendment, not just in identifying categories of speech, but how how you actually
2: address and, and... Well, even the categorical approach itself. Um, yeah. This is a, a piece that I didn't finish that I really wanted to write for ages, which is uh, when I mentioned previously the intersections between free speech and psychology, um, constitutional law and psychology. One of the smart things that we do in First Amendment law is rather than having a, uh, an all-purpose balancing test that's besides strict scrutiny, but an all-purpose balancing test, we have categories of unprotected speech. Now, why is that smart? Um, is because it works a lot uh, like um, it works well with human psychology that if the, if the, unless it fits in this box, it can never be uh, uh, punished um it 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 uh contains normal human bias it it limits the havoc you can do because we're always we're all very good at figuring out even if you say you believe in freedom of speech why i can punish that person over there and by making having a categorical approach it's a very wise way to to make sure that you protect as many as much expression of opinion as possible but can still go after you know patterns of behavior that sh- shouldn't are or be illegal yeah listeners will be hearing a lot more from
1: us on on these (laughs) sorts of topics. And Greg, you're going to need to get a new shirt, or that's just going to be super retro. (laughs) Oh, no! It's going to be worth a lot on eBay Uh, someday. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, what are we doing with the swag, Alicia?
0: I don't know. going to have a big fire. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: One thing I forgot to mention is, we've talked a lot about free speech, but our on-campus work is going to continue to be the same on campus work. We're going to continue to defend the rights that we defend on campus. The individual be doing rights. more of it. Yeah, well, religious liberty, yeah. you know, due process. Yeah. These are all still rights that we're going to be defending on campus. Our off campus work is limited, correct, mm-hmm. to free, free expression. Speech. Yeah. Alicia, what are, you know, ways that people can become involved? You mentioned the membership program. Uh,
0: so besides becoming a fire member, I think what would be the most critical right now yeah, is Yeah, what
1: would be most helpful? I
0: think that so if this is going to be on what, June 6th that this is coming out, I think sharing our PR, sharing if we um, have articles, op-eds, exclusives, stuff on social media, our videos, just sharing content. Uh, There's a whole new audience of people now that we can have access to because if someone didn't really care too much about higher ed, just really wasn't the thing that they were most interested in. But they like free speech, well, all of those people now should like and join FIRE. So our, you know, podcast listeners, I think the best thing you can do is share the message with your friends and family.
1: Go to at the facebook.com slash the FIRE Follow us on TikTok,
2: Instagram, any of these
0: Share commercials.
2: I've, I've been yeah. so impressed with, with the, how powerful the content is. Yeah,
1: we've got this Faces of Free Speech campaign. It'll be airing on
2: News channels across the
1: country for the next four weeks. I think we've got like five or six spots. I think we're going live with maybe three or four of them initially. People will see more of them over the time, but they'll be posted on social media. Um, so hit the retweet button. Um, Slack division. Slack division. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're valuing it. Yeah, I mean, creating a megaphone and having people understand that there's a constituency for these issues. And that's part of what this expansion is about, is that we're a group that's going to rally the constituency that we know exists. Like, if you ask Americans what's the freedom they most value, Eight, to no, eight or nine out of 10 times, they'll say freedom of speech first. So they, they value this, but they need an organization, a group of individuals that they can join with in order to amplify the message and say, no, we stand for this. And let's not let the you know, 5% of noisy people out there that are seeking to censor control the narrative. So you're gonna be seeing a lot more fire content on all of our channels. Standing behind the camera right now is uh, our content creator and chief. Tyler McQueen. So, Tyler, thanks for recording this today. We're in our D.C. office. Uh, Gre- and Greg and Alicia, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. This was fun. Alicia, hopefully not too scary. <laughs> I'll <on>. be back. <laughs> Again, I didn't, I didn't tell her it was coming, but uh, you're a good trooper nonetheless. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Nico Perino, and edited by Aaron Reese, and recorded, as I mentioned, by Tyler McQueen. Thanks, Tyler. To learn more about So to Speak, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash freespeechtalk or on Instagram. Our handle is talk. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash so to podcast. We take email feedback at so-to-speak at fire.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, enjoy hearing from my colleagues, please like and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. They help us attract new listeners to the show. And until next time, thank you all again for listening.